Hello and welcome to the I'll Cover You podcast. In this episode, your hosts, Alexander Dimitriou and Maro Bruni, will be chatting with Nancy Ryan, former figure skating coach turned stand-up comic on the Las Vegas Strip. She'll be chatting with us about her struggles with alcohol and drug addiction and the effect that COVID has had on her career. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Alp Cover You podcast. Uh, Maro, welcome back, my friend. How have you been? Hi. Great to be back. Thanks. I've been great. Um, it's been wonderful listening to uh, last week's episode. Oh, it was a brilliant podcast. It opened the whole world up into the sport world even more from skating and the comparisons between what we went through on tour to what he went through being away as an international cricketer was incredible. Uh, I've actually signed up in three days. I'm doing a 30 mile walk for charity uh, and it's to raise money for my counselor's uh, practice because he wants to open up another one uh, at the other side of Blackpool. So yeah, I'm going to do 30 miles walking in the cold in December. Great idea. That's, that's <laughs> wonderful. You're you're a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be yeah. good. Uh, but with us today, we have a figure skating coach and a stand-up comedian for 30 years, Nancy Ryan. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. You? Oh, really, oh, really good. Good, good. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm so glad to be with you. We are super happy to have you here. Yeah, um, I am super happy to have you here. We've known each other for a few years and yeah. um, having you on this podcast is a real honor for us. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's an honor to be here for sure. Do you want to explain uh, your guys's relationship from how like how you guys knew each other? Uh, through a professional uh, choreographer's competition, wasn't it? And I was a judge mm-hmm. and you were uh, you were showing your choreography. Was it through the Young Under Showcase? Then? Yes, that's yeah. it. Because I, I know there was a few things. I, we we sort of met during that year, and there was a few times that we you know, communicated and saw each other. And so I didn't yeah. know exactly when we met it. But yeah, I guess it was through the Young Under Showcase competition back yeah. in 2014 or 15 or 16 right. or something. Yeah, somewhere um, around And then I remember uh, seeing you at the U.S. Open. In, and I was in Las Vegas. Yes. And then, and then I had the opportunity to go and see Nancy perform. Oh, <laughs> yeah. As a comic uh, in her show in Vegas. And that was um, maybe three years ago, three or four years ago. Anyway, she yeah. was fabulous. And super yeah, fun. I missed that off from the, the little intro. She's a stand-up comedian in Vegas, like, of all places. Like, Yeah. <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. So the fact that you are a, a figure skating coach and a stand-up comedian, I think they are two professions that no one would ever like would think to combine. Can you give us a bit of a background of how you got into the figure skating world and also the comedy world? Uh, sure. Yeah. When I started skating, um, I don't. I think I was about nine in Connecticut. You know, just like anybody else, you 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 go, you start, you fall in love. And yeah. next thing you yeah. know, um, you're buried in it. And um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which, you know, and I, I had some years off after I competed professionally. And I think it was 90 was my last year, 91. Okay. And I went directly into stand up comedy. It was very strange. It was uh, within two months of of uh, stopping skating. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I took a job as a cocktail waitress in a comedy club in Connecticut. <laughs> okay. And 
I went up on stage one night and that was it. That was it. It was all wow. over. Like, was it not scripted when you got on stage or did you have like a set already planned or? I had, uh, they gave me three minutes and I <laughs> wow. had all planned. Yeah. And you had your no plan? No, I had a plan. Oh, you did? But, okay. <laughs> yeah. They, they uh, pushed me up there though that night. I was ready, but I had my waitressing outfit on in a tray <laughs> and I, that's how I went up and wow. I was the angry waitress. You know, yeah. Um, a lot changed over the past three decades with that. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Is that something you always knew you wanted to get into? Would you, did you have a talent for comedy from a young age? Yeah, I think I was always a wise guy. It always got me out of trouble. You know? <laughs> if ever I found like somebody was... Um, you know, they didn't like me or, you know, when you're a kid and you beat you up because I got bullied a lot in, in school. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to use my brain and my mouth very quickly okay. to get myself out of situations. Yeah. <laughs> so and then, you know, it would make people laugh. So, yeah, uh, at a very early age, you're, you're looking at a, a kid in in a bit of pain, emotional pain. But turning it into laughter is pretty much the script for my life (laughs) in a good way. And where you you mentioned a kid with emotional pain, where did the emotional pain come from? Um, It was a a lot of bullying when I was a kid and from from kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure out, you know, uh, what was going on with me that uh, the other kids couldn't handle it or wanted to abuse me in that way. Mm-hmm. So that was very hard. That was very difficult. You know, so how, how old were you when you, um, when you finished skating and, uh, started to be a comedian? 27. 28. Okay. And what age did you yeah. start skating? Oh, I was like nine. Okay. Nine. So normal. Yeah. 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 And um, how did, how did you, um, how did you end up in Las Vegas? This was um, after a divorce and I I was living in New Jersey and um, I felt that it it would just be a better switch to uh, like try the geographical cure. You know, if I left New Jersey, let me just go. And I loved Las Vegas. I had worked comedy clubs here for years and I figured, you know, someplace new, let's just try it. And I did. I did. And it really changed my life coming out. Everything changed. That's amazing. For the and, you, and you still now live in Vegas. Yeah. Um, are you performing cur- currently or, you know, during the COVID it's a little hard, but maybe tell yeah. us about what the uh, situation is right now. It's pretty bad out here. Um, everybody's last show on the strip was March 14th. Okay. Um, so everything shut down. And just recently, about a month ago, they started reopening shows okay. uh, but with very strict guidelines. My husband is back. He's doing his show. The reason why he can do his show is because of the 25 foot from performer to audience rule. Oh, okay. okay. That's a lot of feet, though, mm-hmm. from, from stage to audience, 25 feet. Yeah, that is yeah. Not. And then the dancers that he works with, they're all in clear masks and uh, all that. Wow. But my show, the the showroom is only 35 feet deep, so it wouldn't be worth their while to open up for 10 feet of space. 
get audience members. And now they're only allowing 50 people in a show anyway. So anyway, so yeah, so I've been out of work since March 14th. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy, crazy year, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It has been a crazy year. And, you know, um, your, your story about the closure of the shows is reciprocated all around the world in Mm -hmm. all different countries. Um, You know, in the UK, we're just now opening up again from the second lockdown. Um, And we see that in some of the tiers that we're opening up that, live performances can happen indoors but remains to be seen if that they're going to take advantage of that yeah wasn't west end opening uh right and the opening some shows so some of the companies uh have said that they will open uh soon uh but it's only a few shows but I, i've not heard if it's the whole of the west end i just know one of the top companies that owns like three or four of the big shows uh said that they okay. might open but it's actually crazy because one of the reason that this idea of this podcast came to my mind was that one of my good friends uh, who lives in Blackpool, he's a dancer. And I came home once and I was meant to meet up with him and he ended up canceling. And he told me how much he was struggling, how he was struggling with depression, anxiety and everything. And he physically could not get himself out of his house to come and see me. And I got him in touch with my counselor and they've got like, and they're helping and he's doing amazing. But that was one of the reasons that this idea of this podcast came about was that it was like, wow, like it's like to see it firsthand to one of my very good friends was like, I can't imagine what it's like for everybody. And I'd not really put myself into that mind frame, like of thinking of everybody as a whole. And, but when to seeing it so close and personal, it just hit me hard. And I thought, you know what? No, we've got to, we've got to do something. And that's, that's why it came about. And like you said, it's crazy. That was in Blackpool. You're in Vegas and it just happens all over the world. Just like Maro said. It's brutal. It's, I, I never thought, I I mean, I've always uh, struggled with, depression but it's been years because you know i spent a lot of time working on issues but yeah um yeah and then coming out here you know i'm feeling good the past i've been out here 15 years everything's going good got a really healthy marriage everything's great great job um but with the shutdown it was when i got into month six and i didn't know which end was up i really didn't I lost, I felt like I lost my identity, which I did mm-hmm. uh, when you're doing two shows a night, you know, six nights a week for, tw- I've been on that show for 12 years, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a long time. Um, but you feel like everything is, is gone and there's back to it. Mm-hmm. And the only place I felt safe was my bed. And I knew what, what, what I was doing. I knew that I found safety in the bed. Mm-hmm. And if I stay here, nothing can hurt me. And then uh, I started to, like I saw my husband start to go back to work about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And um, they, my producers said, you know, if you ever want to come down and, you know, do a set, you know, get on stage again, you know, and just keep. And I was terrified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something I've been doing for almost 30 years and I was terrified. I didn't do it. I haven't done it yet, but I will. (laughs) Therapy is, which is really, really good. And um, it's just giving me the tools I need so I can kind of get through this um, period because it will come back. You know, now I'm starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And hopefully uh, 
get back to normal at some point. Yeah. yeah. You um you did mention just then about like your other struggles that you've gone through. I think this is the best time to start talking about that because I personally <laughs> don't want to introduce it. I want to hear it from your words because uh, it's okay. like, it, I, yeah, I think it's best if the audience hear it from you. So do you want to explain how it's all gone from skating through skating, stand up comedy like you? This this okay. is your space now. Yeah, we, want, we this is your space to say anything you need. Uh, anything you want to share with us. Okay. You know, we're, we're all ears for you. Cool. Well, thanks. I, you know, throughout my skating years and, and I already, already mentioned what I went through as a kid, mm-hmm. yes. young kid, those informative years, you know, bullying and um, stuff like that, not really feeling a part of anything or, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, part of it, you know, it stays with you. And then eventually what started happening when I, when I got to junior high school, so I'm about 13 years old mm-hmm. and you start to want to really be a part of your peers or these kids that you see around hanging out in groups and, you know, they're picking on you because, you know, you're skating before school and after school and they're calling you names, you know, like, Oh, you think you're a prissy jock or whatever they're calling you. Mm-hmm. And um, you're still trying to beat the bullies at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what ha- ended up happening for me was I started to try to try to earn their acceptance by uh, following their behaviors. Mm-hmm. So if they were getting high in the bathrooms, that's where I, you could find me. If they were, and then as I started getting older and into high school, if they were drinking, that's where you would find me. And by the time I, by the time I was out of high school, I had a full blown, a full blown problem with drugs and alcohol. When I was 22, almost 23 is when I got sober. I've been sober ever since. It's been 34 years. Wow. Well done. Which you can do the math on how old I am now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, the struggle of, of growing up for me uh, wasn't easy. I, you know, although I had very supportive parents and uh, athletics and everything like that, or whatever I'd want to do, uh, there was a lot of times I wasn't uh, emotionally supported because I don't think they knew how. Yeah. So a lot of the times, whatever I needed for myself to heal or to get better, I did a lot of that homework on my own. I'm very grateful for for that now that mm-hmm. I was able to seek out the help because a lot of kids don't. No. A lot of kids don't. And then they end up uh, spending 30, 40 years, you know, in their addiction. So can I ask, can I ask how did how did um, your your alcohol and drug addictions at that time affect your skating? Mm, very much so. I was that kid, people would go, wow, she's a beautiful skater, followed by what a shame. No. Okay. I was the what a shame kid. And, uh, <laughs> and we could, you know, I could laugh at that now, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but back then, you know, you knew what people were saying and you knew what coaches were saying. And, um, you know, I'd yeah. be at competitions or whatever with, cause I was in ice dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a partner who's walking into the ladies room looking for me and there I am, you know, 
drinking and and our warm up is going on. You know, we're about to compete. Man. Are you coming out here? What's going on? You know, it was. But back then, I was so out of my mind, I didn't care. And the skating world, especially in the competitive world, can be brutal, brutal. like to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you no. can be you can be made to feel so little. So which little. doesn't help with anything. No. So yeah. So you know. Tomorrow, right? Well, back for sure. And then, so when what, you said when you were 24, you got sober. Yeah, 23. Mm-hmm. 23, 23. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> and, and what uh, was there a certain instance that you realized there was a problem and you needed to get help? Mm-hmm. Um, what What was the impetus for you to get help then? Okay. Um, well, as I saw everything kind of dwindle away in skating and my my just my life in general. Uh, I wasn't getting a grasp like I saw my, my friends do, mm-hmm. you know, they were on their way to careers or this or that. And I was just, uh, I couldn't get out of the mess that I had made. Mm-hmm. Skating by that time was done. I was way, way done at 23. I came back later, but that's another story. But anyway, um, I remember just, I would go on like these benders for days <laughs> of drinking and partying and and doing whatever I could get my hands on uh, just to be completely numb. And uh, on that last day, I was so sick from everything I had been doing for 10 days straight. I I wasn't eating, just um, partying. Okay. And I remember I was at my parents' house in Connecticut and I was watching like something at two o'clock in the morning and it was a Sunday morning and, they have like those uh, ministers on TV on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And I'm not religious, but the guy looked right into the camera and said, if you're a teen with with drug and alcohol problems. And I went, that's me. Yeah. And my mother came in and I told her, I said, I, I've got a problem. I've got to do something about it. And I was very, very sick that night. Yeah. And um, and that was the first time she actually sat down and heard me say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know i I have a problem and i really need to get help and And did did your parents or were your parents aware of the problem before that they say no they might they might have just turned a blind eye because they didn't want to accept the fact that their daughter was struggling Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. you know the daughter that they thought that i was supposed to be or wanted me to be Mm -hmm. an athlete so it's like i think he always he never said it but he always wanted me to follow through with my sport. I think every, every parent wants to see it, you know, what their child gets their, their hopes up and, you know, gets involved in to be, you know, very successful at. Absolutely. Uh, in, in many ways we are successful just for getting through it. <laughs> just for getting through that part. Did you of have our, those pressures too? Um, yeah, of, of course. You know, my, my parents were very, um, I guess they put a lot of pressure on me when I was young, uh, a young competitor in figure skating. Um, and, um, I know it was very hard for, uh, my father, especially to compete anymore. And I wanted to move on with my life, but you know, it was for the better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's got, you gotta like be, you have to be on this side of it to see, um, the bigger picture and to see that it was, you know, it was beautiful for what it was and that's what it was. Right. Right. And then you had to move on from that yep. and grow. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. <laughs> I, no, I was, was going to say, I think 
um, a lot of people, especially like people that have never had to deal with an addiction in any way, or we don't really understand how bad it can get. Like, like is the reason for the addiction, is it because when you're not drinking or doing the drugs that you don't like yourself in that way? Or is it the feeling? Cause you mentioned about feeling numb, you know what I mean? Like you were chasing that numbness and that yes. like when, how often would you go without drinking or doing drugs? Uh, and like there how were periods of time where uh, I go maybe a week, you know, yeah. or five days and say, and you're bargaining saying, well, if I can make it till Friday, mm-hmm. if I can go until Friday, then I can prove to myself I have I don't have a problem. And then you would. You would wait till Friday, and then the next thing you know, you're off and running for the weekend. Yeah. And then the weekend turns into Tuesday. You know, and then you're like, Oh, I can't believe I did this again. All right, I'm gonna wait till Sunday, you know. Yeah. So there were always these deals that you're making with yourself that um, you know, if it continues, you, it's very hard to follow through because you don't know. You just don't know what that addiction is doing inside your brain. You don't realize what's what's causing it or uh, why do I have to continue to do this? You know, because the, the really the only thing that made you feel normal was that behavior. Mm-hmm. You get comfortable in that behavior. You know, and then it even becomes it becomes like a romantic uh, type of action. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, I don't know, the unscrewing of a bottle or, mm-hmm. you know, the rolling, you know, the lighting of a cigarette or whatever all became very romantic. Yeah. So it became the act of doing these things mm-hmm. that you was really addicted to. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's crazy because I think a lot of people, even this could be very wrong, but I think when you think of an alcoholic or someone, you you kind of see someone older. If that makes sense, yeah. we don't we don't tend to picture someone in their late teens and early twenties suffering. But if anything, they're some of the hardest times people will go through. Like you said, with the bullying, like it's such a prominent thing in the world, and it's a shame. But it's how you deal with it, and you just you we just don't associate that age with that addiction. And it's crazy to think that actually, hang on a minute, a lot of people yeah. must probably do. Right, you expect the. Um you know, the, the man with the red nose and the ripped, you know, ripped pants and walking down the street, you know, in a rain jacket, in a rain jacket. Exactly. I think think it's so interesting how you described it as like, uh, sort of romanticizing the actions, um, you know, revolving around an addiction because, you know, at that time in everyone's life, you know, it's a very, it's still very formative years and you're going through a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking for something to really grasp onto, to stick, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And, um, if, if this is the thing that sticks and that you grasp onto, that you romantically like grasp onto it, um, it can be devastating. Mm-hmm. Very devastating. And the idea that, that those actions, uh, like I was mentioning, like the lighting of a cigarette or the the opening of a of a bottle of whiskey or whatever it is, when you're falling in love with those actions, you think that they're real. Yeah. 
there's nothing real about that. You know, when you step back and go, wow, really? That's what I was in love with was getting a new, a brand new bottle from the liquor store and, oh, you know, unscrewing the top. You know, it's not healthy, not logical thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But really that and the same with gambling, the same with gambling, it's peeling off the money, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, to put in a, in a poker machine. Mm-hmm. It's all those little rituals that you do mm-hmm. and movies. There have been some movies even that have really uh, described what I'm talking about. Like, uh, do you remember the movie Pulp Fiction? Yeah. You know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, I know the scene you're on about. Right. And um, where they're heating up, you know, she's heating up the heroin in the spoon and it's all in slow motion and kind of blurred, but it's not. And they really romanticize it. I don't, I think it's a little irresponsible, but it's a very powerful scene. Yeah. It sexualizes it, doesn't it? It's very like, it does. It's exactly what you said. It's romantic. Mm -hmm. You're having a relationship with the act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How long did it take for you to, I'm not going to say be over it or anything, because I'm sure it's still a struggle to this day. Like I know one of my good friends is 80 and he's been sober for like 50 odd years. And I know every day is a new day and it's still a struggle and you still have to prepare for it and you have to commit. But how long until you started mentally feeling okay? Well, they have that period that they call the pink cloud. (laughs) Right. Okay. So from the from the time that you stop your behavior and you're getting help, for me it's twelve step programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting the help and you're you're attending meetings, whatever. And um, there's there's that period of time where you feel like unstoppable. Mm-hmm. I I've got this. I am clean. I am sober. My life is going to be so much better already. I'm I'm great. You feel like superwoman or superman, mm-hmm. and that's not the truth either. No, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very superficial thing. And usually after that, if you don't have a grasp on what's really going on, it, there's another crash coming. But for me, that's what happened. Did it, like you were saying about like when you would drink and take the drugs and that, it was like to feel the numbness. So when that numbness, like when that left, so when that feeling left, I I don't know why, but I feel like a lot of pressure, anxiety and all that can come on because one of the things you're trying to escape is that. Uh, How did that affect you? Oh, well, I wasn't able to function really well. Um, because I didn't, the only thing I really knew was how to, how to numb myself. Mm -hmm. So that was really my, it was my life. It was my love. It was my career Mm -hmm. to get numb. And, um, so when I didn't have those things, I was very, very lost, very lost. I can imagine. It's like learning again, isn't it? It's like, like you've lost those how many years of being high or drunk and like it's like starting fresh again like it's i've never thought about it that way you know um you mentioned earlier that uh you used comedy and being loud and um you know talking back sort of as a coping mechanism uh, to deal with the bullying um when you started obviously you started your career as a stand-up comic when did it change from being a coping mechanism to a real career that you loved 
Um, I think it still is a coping mechanism in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is part of my therapy for okay. me. Uh, when I get up there, and, and that's part of the depression I'm, I'm dealing with now in mm-hmm. this pandemic, mm-hmm. is I have nowhere to put any of that energy. Yeah. You know, um, so it, it it is part of my healing to be up there on stage. So the fact that I get paid to do it, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. You know, yeah. Yeah. I get rid of it and then they give me money. It's all yeah. okay. <laughs> so it's, uh, I really miss that outlet. I, mm-hmm. and that's again, why I am therapy. Yeah. It's to allow me to have those times where I can let it out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and to make people laugh is also very healing for me. You yeah. know, it's uh, yeah. so I do miss that. I don't think I, when you came to see me tomorrow, I don't think it was a very good night. But mostly uh, I, most- I do not remember that. I remember. Oh, really? Very good night. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being hysterical. I remember you being the best part of the show. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's uh, the type of comedy I do. I'll tell you, Alex. Uh, I work the crowd. I pick on the crowd. Uh, I, I even abuse the crowd uh, <laughs> verbally. <laughs> but you do it in such a way, if you smile when you do it or you have like a couple yeah. of weeks to come back, it doesn't seem mean. Yeah. It may seem a little mean, but it's always like, oh, that was cute. And um, so I am able to get all that old anger and insecurities out and -hmm. put it on them, but they think it's funny. They think it's fun. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, this is really great. So yeah, that's so to answer your question, I think they both came at the same time, the career and the, the healing Mm -hmm. both came at the same time for me. And, um, and over the years that you've been in Vegas, you've been performing at this show that you're currently on now. Mm -hmm. Um, do you go through any sort of waves um, that bring back depression or anxiety? Um, or has it been pretty constant until this year and COVID? Well, um, usually, uh, I, I don't feel any depression when I'm, when I'm doing the shows. Mm-hmm. I, I did go through a period when I first came to Vegas and I, and I first got the show, I didn't realize it was going to be so different as doing comedy and comedy clubs so when you're on the road, um, it's that hit and run kind of thing. You do a show, next morning you wake up, you move on to the next city. Yeah. Or two nights, move on to the next city. When you're in Vegas and you have a residency, you're there every single night and you have certain uh, publications in town that come to see. And if one of you, them mm-hmm. doesn't like you, it's really, really bad. Yeah. And my first review here was very bad. Okay. It took me down. It took me down very hard. Uh, I think it started with the word unsexy. I'm not trying to be sexy. Okay. First of all, Um, let's get, let's get that straight. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not here for that. And um, a nightmare, they called me. I mean, it was... Wow. It was horrific. And I was in bed for about four days. I couldn't get out of bed. I was like, I'm never going on stage again. Mm-hmm. And I, But I did go on stage again. And uh, yeah. it took a long time 
And now, today, my producers, my husband, and anybody else who has known me for the past 12 years on that show, I am not allowed to read any reviews. <laughs> <laughs> they do say that. Don't read reviews. Don't ever read them. I, I couldn't believe. After that, how many actors and actresses do not read their reviews? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just one person's opinion. And you're performing to thousands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I don't. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's interesting. The hard part, depending on the weight of their words, mm-hmm. they can go to other people and say, she sucks. And then they're like, oh, yeah, she sucks. And then yeah. before you know it, you have like a dominant effect. Um, but for the most part, uh, I pulled out of that and – yeah, so it's kind of cool that you have that kind of thing. It's a very international city with these people coming from all over. You know, yeah. I, these Thai women who are coming up and, and bowing to me. Yeah. After the, what, what, just, no, stand up. <laughs> stand up, it's fine. But, you know, it's, it's really, so you live for that, you know, that's, yeah. you know, in skating when you perform or if you're on stage and you perform. And you have those moments, you know, where you're yeah. really clicking and you're connecting. We live for that, whatever yeah. it is in us. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah think, that. I think that's something that every, every performer goes through and they remember that. Those are the best moments that you remember. Forever. Yeah, yes, always. Mm-hmm. And you'll never, you'll never lose that. No. Yeah. You know, those are the gifts that you pass on to other people, gifts that you yeah. give to other people. And that's the other thing about this kind of thing, too, is that when you're trying to heal from trauma, whatever it may be, I find for me, giving yourself away of your talent to somebody, yeah, not an audience member, but somebody that may need it. If there's a there's this pers- person in town that's trying to start in comedy, there were so many years I'd hold on so tight and go, no, mm-hmm. because if I give it to you, what are you going to do to me? You're going to screw me over, take my job. I stopped with that. You have to give it away. Mm-hmm. You have to, not all of it. You give, you give mm-hmm. it away though. And then allow it to return to you somehow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spiritually or whatever it may be. Yeah. I think you've just That's given beautiful. us the best out to this conversation. Cool. <laughs> that, that, I, I completely agree. I think there's there's nothing more rewarding than helping others. Like I've I've learned that this year. Like there really isn't, and it's the best thing I think we can do um, to put our egos to the side and actually mm-hmm. stand up and help someone in need, whether the smallest need or the biggest need. It's just the most rewarding thing we can go through. So you know, it it it's so beneficial. Like we we all have such. Um, years of experience in our respective fields and to be able to pass on the lessons that we've learned to younger generations or um, new professionals in the business. Yes. Um, it's, it's so helpful for them mm-hmm. and it's also, you know, helpful and therapeutic for us. Yeah. It is very, I couldn't say it enough, you know, and whether it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about what you're doing. If, you know, I found in skating as a coach, there's a lot of jealousy yeah. amongst coaches. It's like I, all you want to do is be able to give that gift, you know, give give that information away. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes for free even, you know, it's like yeah. take 
And there's a lot of people that'll try to stop you from it. And I think the key is, is to just keep giving, mm-hmm. keep giving. Yeah. That is the, if this podcast helps one person for us, it's like the best thing ever. And I think I it's, it's another form. Uh, it just it literally just one person. That's all it takes. And it's made the difference yeah. in one person's life. So I can't like, we seriously, we cannot thank you enough like that. I was silent again for most of that. Cause I was just listening, taking it in. Cause it was amazing. Like, no, not at all. Like we would have, if we wanted to, but we were just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Nancy, for sharing everything. Oh, um, thank you. What, what you've said is so beautiful and, um, very touching and very, um, mm-hmm. very relatable. I think to a lot of people. Good. Very glad to have been here. And so thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and, and it's been a real honor. And Alex, I wish you the best in everything that you're doing and you're doing that walk and that's your giveaway, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. And Mauro, you're doing big, huge things too. And, and, you know, I thank you. I thank you for this connection today. It really means a lot to me. No, thank you. Well, thank, thank you, Nancy, so much for joining us. Yes. Uh, thank you again, everybody, for listening. Please follow us, give us likes, reviews, whatever you guys want to do, and we will hear you next time. Thank you very much, Maro. It's been a pleasure, as always. Nancy, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. And remember, guys, you are not alone, and we'll speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening. And if you are looking for any help, I would highly recommend uh, jumping online, looking up your local 12-step programs in your area. They help me immensely. Um, And also finding a great therapist, somebody that you can connect with, somebody that has your issues, maybe that they're specializing. But those two things are, are key into helping you become whole again and to get out there in the world and do good things. 